I can't wait to get my hands on this food. Come on out, cuz! Ray Ray, cut it out. You're gonna make it mad. I don't give a fuck, Keisha. He should be worried about making Ray Ray mad up in here, bitch. Who you calling a bitch? Show yourself! No, Ray, don't do that! Don't! What the fuck is that? A ghost, Ray. A ghost ghost? A ghost ghost. Like a dead ghost? Yes! Ray Ray, that's what we've been trying to tell you for 15 minutes! You idiot! Guy, my name is Dennis Rafkin. You're Dennis Rafkin? Who's Dennis Rafkin? My office warned me about this guy. No, this guy's completely whacked, alright? But just, just stay with me. I used to hunt displaced spiritual energies with your uncle. I'm sorry? Uh, uh, PK agents. Revenants, uh, 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 like wraiths. Wraiths, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. I'll, I'll do this the easy way. Ghosts. Arthur, I used to, I used to hunt ghosts with your uncle Cyrus. Goats? God damn it, listen to me! Use thy voice, Sarah! Fill the sky! Bring the little brats to die! <laughs> Some of you just said yes, and some of you said absolutely not. I get it. Sometimes there's a logical explanation for the bumps we hear in the night. It's the house settling, it's your brother, it's your lover, it's your dog. Anything except for a ghost. Sometimes though, there really isn't a logical explanation. We can't find the source of what we heard, what we saw, and what we experienced. Therefore leaving it in the small area of the paranormal. Things that are just outside of the norm. Well, in this spooky season, we're going to be doing that, staying just outside of the norm. For this episode, we are going to go extremely supernatural, dive into the paranormal, and we're going to talk about three of my favorite haunted locations and their stories that really feel the fire. For this episode, we are going to go to Los Angeles, California. A place that many flock to in order to chase their dreams and become famous, land a spot on the silver screen. In fact, one of our stories is all about a starlet who currently haunts the Hollywood sign. Not too far from there is another haunted place that many people, including very well-known YouTubers, have experienced some extremely haunting activity. A place called Griffith Park, which also has the remains of an old zoo, is said to be so haunted that people fear it. And our final story for this episode, one that contains murder of several, in fact, it's a heartbreaking story, and it left a house frozen in time. A house which recently just sold. 
rehashing the story of the Los Feliz Mansion murders. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, my name is Harmony. I'm obsessed with all things paranormal, strange, unusual, creepy, mysterious, murderous, and just downright fucked up. So join me today in an episode with stories that are just that. Let's begin. Gosh, it's good to see you. Tell me, do you see any of the old crowd? You know, the dear old campus? No, I don't get around much. I've been taking a motor trip with a friend, and when I saw you were here, I simply had to come in and say hello. What's the matter, June? I'll have to tell you. I've got to tell somebody. I'm afraid. Afraid of what? Something has been on my mind for a long time now. What's the matter? What's happened? Do you remember that round-robin letter we all send each other? Yes. Well, in that letter, one of the girls mentioned how miraculous some swami in New York was in predicting what was going to happen to us. Situated high up on Mount Lee in the Hollywood Hills, the letters tower at around 44 feet tall. Covered in light bulbs so you can't miss them, day in and day out, these have set for nearly a century. This landmark has gone on to give the landscape the moniker Hollywood, becoming an internationally recognizable icon for the city, for the industry, and most of all, for the opportunity. However, when the sign first erected, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm very mature. <laughs> Erected. Anyways, in 1923, it was really just like, it was an advertisement. That's all it was. Something to catch the eye. And for real estate, nonetheless. It was kind of like a billboard. This billboard originally read Hollywood Land, all one word. It was installed to help brand a suburban housing development. This now brings us to about nine years later. In 1932, a young actress by the name of Peg Entwistle, side note, Peg is actually Betty Davis's personal icon. And in the beginning of this intro, you heard her voice. That was her in a movie from 1932 as well, but she would never live to see her own fame. I'm kidding. You see, Peg would reveal a darker side of Dinseltown. One tragic evening, she would climb atop the letter H. Just after doing so, she would plunge down to her death. It is said that to this very day, she's still there, haunting the iconic landmark. Very sorry we have to let you go. Today, Ladies and gentlemen, we mourn the loss of a legend. Your mother's own time. Ralph, we need her back. We need Mr. Peg. Selznick. You're wrong. Mr. Selznick. She was one of a kind. I can see the whole world. This is my moment. I can see all the stars in the sky. I miss you, Father. A true Movieland tragedy. Peg Entwistle, known for her spectacular Broadway performances, 
and a promising movie crew stronghold is gone. Hey. My darling daughter, do something that no one will ever forget. I'll always be with you. her suicide would land tabloids to call her the Hollywood sign girl, Peg was born Lillian Millicent Entwistle. She was born in Wales in 1908. Her parents would actually go on to split when she was a toddler. This is when she would move with her actor father to New York. Her father's name was Robert Sims Entwistle and he would go on to remarry. She grew up to dream to want to be in the theater, watching her actor father, and she started to go by the name of Peg after seeing the play Peg Oh My Heart. This was actually what I learned in the podcast You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth. So I'm hoping that that's accurate because according to my research, it is. And I thought that really interesting because I thought her real name was Peg, so that was pretty cool. Now, later on in life, Lillian, or I'll call her Peg as she wished, her father and her stepmother would go on to die. I couldn't exactly find out how, I don't know if it was together or what exactly happened, but she did move in with her half-brothers and her uncle and her aunt as well, yes. So they lived in Ohio for a while and eventually from there, that family unit would go on to take steak and make up their own little slice of heaven in Los Angeles. Specifically out on Beechwood Drive, which is located just beneath the Hollywood sign that would one day be where Peg would take her life. However, after some time, Peg didn't stay in LA. She actually went back to New York to go to theater school, and then she went to Boston to perform in the theater company for a while. Peg would go on to portray Hedvig in Henrik Ibsen's The Wild Duck. This is in that very audience where Betty Davis would see Peg. Betty would even go on to play the role herself only three years after witnessing that play. She would go on to reportedly list this performance and Peg as one of her number one inspirations for her future career and legendary status as an icon. In 1927, Peg would see some minor success on Broadway in Tommy and a few other plays. That very same year as well, she would go on to marry fellow actor by the name of Robert Key. Sadly though, soon after they said I do, she found out that her brand new groom was already married and divorced once before even having a son, all of which by the way, um, wouldn't have been a problem, but he regretted, I'm sorry, I don't know if he regretted, but he definitely neglected to mention it to Peg. 
but like that that didn't end their marriage it just started the beginning of a lot of toxicity and problems apparently peg would go on to have to constantly bail her husband out of both financial trouble and jail robert would default on alimony payments and fall into jail for drunk driving both of which peg had to financially bail him out of but eventually, Peg was like, I don't think so, and filed for divorce. And in these papers, she claimed that her husband had physically abused her as well. Over time, this left her as what she stated, mentally sick. On top of all of that, Robert's behavior and all the drama had bad press because it caused a lot of major issues with the New York Theater and the Guild for not optioning Peg a second season, meaning she lost her whole job because of everything that, well, her husband was doing. All of the abuse left a major like, damage or dark spot on her career, meaning she couldn't deliver her best. And so the guild would go on to not renew any contracts, leaving her extremely depressed. She may have been trying to shed her husband and leave that toxic life behind, but it seemed in Peg's eyes, maybe it was just, it could have been a little too late. However, however, it wasn't the end yet because Peg would go on to earn several more roles in successful productions across the country, including The Mad Hopes, which starred Humphrey Bogart, a little name you may recognize. She would go on to catch the eye of RKO Pictures and was cast in the thriller movie 13 Women, that audio you heard in the beginning. Sadly though, much of the movie was edited out by censors. This meant that most of Peg's parts were cut from the final film. And just like the Guild, RKO did not renew Peg's contract. Meanwhile, she would go on to be hurt when she heard that her ex-husband had remarried and was enjoying a bit of, well, I guess success in his acting career. By this time, she was extremely depressed. She had once again moved back in with her aunt and uncle. And on September 16th, 1932, she told her family she was just gonna go on a little walk, but she never came back home. Two days after Peg had went missing, an anonymous woman reported finding a woman's jacket and a purse on Beechwood Canyon. She also added that she had seen a body down below. A suicide note would go on to be found inside the purse. It read, I'm afraid. I'm a coward. I'm sorry for everything. If I had done this a long time ago, I would have saved a lot of pain. P.E. It appeared that Peg had climbed the workman's ladder to the top of the H, and then, while there, plunged to her death. She was only 24 years old. The media would go on to run her story as an aspiring actress who had failed. But that's not really true. She had seen success just on stage, not the silver screen as she had hoped. However, for some reason, she felt that she couldn't return back to Broadway as well, essentially being banned by the Guild in the end. Another sad twist in this tale is Peg did take her life because she felt as though she was not going to have the success that she so truly desired. RKO actually sent her a letter wanting to give her a role, a starring role in fact. This letter though would arrive to her family home just a few days after she ended her life. Her story has become one of Hollywood legends, leaving many, and I mean many, to say they see her today.
Just Google the Lady in White of Hollywood Hills and you will be met with so many ghostly images, videos, and stories. I guess Peg really did become famous, just not in the way she hoped. Within the largest city in California is one of the largest municipal urban wildernesses in the country, Griffith Park. It spans more than 4,300 acres. It's home to the Greek theater, the Hollywood sign, and of course, the most visited observatory in the nation. You know, we call the Griffith Observatory, it's called Los Angeles's hood ornament. <laughs> A few of the highlights of Griffith Park include the Griffith Observatory, the Greek Amphitheater, the abandoned Los Angeles Zoo, the Museum of the American West, the Travel Town Train Museum, a merry-go-round, countless hiking and horse trails, the famous Hollywood sign, a few ghosts, and an 1863 curse. You might know Griffith Park as Griffith Park Zoo, or the name the Old L.A. Zoo. The Old L.A. Zoo, where Griffith Park Zoo is located in, that's right, you guessed it, Griffith Park. Right there in Los Angeles, also, it is the home to the Hollywood sign. Now, this zoo has been closed down since 1966. It is still a place, though, that people go today and just hang out, enjoy a leisure lunch, have a picnic, and see the abandoned cages, an area that once housed 13 animals. During the day, Griffith Park attracts many visitors, exploring its expansive beauty and scenery, visiting many, many local icons like the observatory, an amphitheater, and so much more, just like the abandoned zoo. But at night, it is said to take on a much darker side. Maybe it's because of how big and foreboding this vast, basically forest in the hills is. Maybe it's the old architecture, the twisting, winding trails, the many deaths, murders, and suicides that have occurred in this expansive land. Maybe it's the abandoned zoo, I don't know, but more than likely, I believe, it's the 150-year curse that's been left on the land. Let's begin at the start with Mr. Griffith J. Griffith. Yes, his name is Griffith Griffith. Now, Griffith was an industrialist and philanthropist. He would go on to make a pretty significant fortune of a mining syndicate in the 1880s. The land itself that he obtained in his fortunes didn't bring him much luck. Therefore, he would go on to donate the 3,015 acres of land to the city of Los Angeles. In 1912, the Griffith Park Zoo would open its doors. Side note, on this very spot was where a once, well now I guess you could say defunct, ostrich farm was. Because Griffith wanted to attract people to that land that he had. It didn't really work. And he put an ostrich farm there. No one really cared. But the zoo, however, that the city had put in, that's a different story. That was attracting visitors. 
I do need to make one more little side note here. Earlier I said 13 animals were housed in this zoo. I have actually seen different numbers. That is my average, like the median, because I saw numbers from seven all the way up to 20. So I was like, you know what? <laughs> 13 sounds good. It's somewhere in the middle. However, there are arguments on how many were there in the beginning. So I'm gonna just go ahead and say that there were between 13 and 15 to begin with. It's claimed that in the mid-1920s, film producer Nicholas Sulig, I think that's how you say his name, he donated to the zoo many more animals, but I couldn't find, like, really, sorry, not Ryan, I couldn't really find a ton of information about this. So again, it's still kind of just like, I'm not positive. Now, it is said under all of this, the reason he donated these animals is because he wanted to use the park and turn it into like an animal theme park along with his studios. Then in the 1930s, the zoo would expand and help Theodore Roosevelt's New Deal project. But the cages were actually too small and outdated. So, at this point, with all the plans that this zoo was supposedly supposed to be a part of, they just kind of fell short and the zoo wouldn't end up being in any of these future endeavors. This is also in spite of the fact that the Griffith Park Zoo was extremely popular, or the LA Zoo actually, as it was known, was extremely parketer, 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 uh, popular, attracting over 2 million visitors every year it still would go on to close in 1966. After the zoo closed, however, it wasn't demolished. The animals, the, what is wrong with my words? The animals were transferred to the Los Angeles Zoo, the real Los Angeles Zoo, because Griffith Park Zoo has been called that many times, although that's not what it is. The old animal enclosures, however, remained intact. Some bars have been removed and picnic tables have been put in place and inside. It's really like this kind of cool concrete urban jungle of a sense. People really love it. They go visit annually, constantly. It has a high tourism rate. I mean, it's in Griffith Park, so of course. Have a picnic while you're visiting the sites of Hollyweird. Sorry, Hollywood. <laughs> I know, that's a horrible joke, I get it. Anyways, people go there daily is what I'm trying to say, but at night, they dare not. Unless they're just looking for a few ghosts, because then they're gonna find them. Also, did I mention it's fucking cursed? Don't worry, we're about to get into all of that. In 1863, a curse was placed on the land which would become Griffith Park. This began a string of deaths eventually seeing the land donated to the city of Los Angeles. Some speculate the dark deeds have continued within the confines of the park due to this curse. Events such as suicide, murder, various crimes, rumored satanic rituals, and even the disposing of bodies have all transpired here. Griffith Griffith may have been the one to originally try to make the land that is Griffith Park into some sort of tourism, he's not the first owner. You see, Griffith is the reason the park exists. The original owner, however, is actually Don Antonio Felice. Sadly, Don became the victim of smallpox in 1863, and on his deathbed, he was actually tricked into changing his will. Therefore, instead of his niece, Donna Petronilia, inheriting the land, the land was given to a local politician. This enraged Donna and she cursed the land, citing that no success would ever be made on the land. 
And of course, added a little bit of spice by making sure the politician who had just recently inherited the land died, not shortly thereafter. Whether or not the land really is cursed, it has seen a lot of misfortune. The landowner did try to start a cattle farm, but it didn't really take business. This is because the cattle actually would go on to contract a disease and eventually they all died. Later, when crops were tried to be put on the land, they all were destroyed by pests. When Griffith J. Griffith bought the land, a nasty thunderstorm caused major flooding and damage. Side note, many of his, like, ranch hands would share stories of seeing this shadowy figure that would kind of just be like, you know, cheering and dancing, kind of egging on the storms. Some even said it was the ghost of Don Antonio or his niece, Donna, ensuring that the curse continued. As I told you, Griffith did later donate the land because he couldn't make a profit off of it. But that didn't stop any of the suffering. During the Great Depression around the 1930s, when workers were making changes on Griffith Park as a part of the New Deal project, I, I told you about that earlier, a wildfire would sweep through the park and it killed about 30 people. These are not the only deaths, as countless murder victims have been found throughout Griffith Park, and there's even been some suicides like Peg and many others. This would lead to many ghost stories, obviously, like the one of the ghost of Don Antonio and Donna. They have all been seen near Griffith Park Zoo. Donna is one of the ghosts that has been seen in white, just like Peg. Peg tends to stay near the sign, however, Donna stays near the zoo. Oftentimes, Donna is seen riding a horse. Now for her uncle, he's been out spotted near Bee Rock. The zoo though, the zoo is said to be extremely haunted. This claim is mainly due to the fact that people have gone out there and experienced very odd occurrences. They've actually caught EVPs, if you don't know what an EVP is, that's an electronic voice phenomena, of what sounds like animals behind them when there shouldn't be any animals. Other EVPs sound as though there's someone telling people they're watching them, saying B, maybe for B-Rock. There's even been ones where you can faintly hear, my name is Dawn. Another thing is that a psychic, a, a pet psychic, went out to the land. Her name is Lori Strenchild. I, I think that's how you may say it. Strenchild? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not positive. Now, she says that she immediately envisioned animals as she arrived and she saw that they had once lived there but these weren't the normal kind of animals you see at a zoo they were malnourished big cats and they were chewing on the mates that they shared their cages with she said that she could see the monkeys that had once been there and they had accidentally hung themselves elephants that had sores all over their feet and other animals that had been suffering as well she said that she could hear the phantom sounds of all of these animals that once lived here this does coincide with many of others who's had experiences in the wall, well, they're not walls, but the remains of what once was a zoo. Today though, the park is a hiking trail, and through the park there are picnic areas where you're allowed to go and visit. At night, the zoo is closed to the public, but that doesn't obviously stop people from going to visit. I do need to share that besides the fact that there may be a few ghouls, goblins, and ghosts roaming the perimeter of Griffith Park, the zoo, and the Hollywood sign. This is a mass expanse of wilderness. 
there are very real dangers like coyotes and pumas. Just if you decide to go, maybe don't go at night because it's not really allowed. But also, that's when these cats who are nocturnal tend to feast. And well, <laughs> you're a giant taco to them. Anyways, let's hop, skip, and jump to another terrifying location. The final story in this episode. Hey, let's learn about Las Feliz Murder Mansion. For being such a beautiful and in-demand neighborhood, the area of Los Feliz sure has a very dark underbelly. Everywhere that we've discussed in this episode is located within the confines of Los Feliz, including the Los Feliz Murder Mansion. Often earning itself the moniker of the Los Feliz Murder House, I didn't really want to refer to it as such because of another infamous murder house that is located in Los Feliz. And that would be the Saudin House, I believe that's how you say it, and that is the alleged site of the notorious Black Dahlia murder. Now, let me continue with this Los Feliz murder mansion. I'm gonna go ahead and dive in one day on the Black Dahlia murder, because that one is a doozy of a case. The Los Feliz mansion is actually located in Griffith Park. So, not just Los Feliz, but right there with the rest of the ghosts. Though the rest of our stories located in Griffith Park are terrifying, a lot of them have to derive from legend. Yes, Peg and Whistle really did commit suicide. A tragic end to an otherwise beautiful life. This led to stories of a ghost haunting the sign. An abandoned zoo, very eerie structures left behind, of course is going to lay claim for ghost stories. No, I'm not saying that either place isn't haunted. And I'm not denying anyone's accounts of what they've experienced in Griffith Park and the places that lie within. But the Los Feliz Mansion has truth behind its mystery and its tales of, well, haunting. Recently, the house sold just a few years ago. This is big news because this house sat vacant for like half a century. Like a time capsule, actually. One glance at this mansion and there's nothing really unassuming about 2475 Glendower Place. Yes, it kind of does look like a haunted mansion, but I mean, you leave anything abandoned and it's gonna turn spooky real fast. No one's there to tidy it up and make sure that nature doesn't start to devour it. This mansion perched atop a weedy hill with its mildew, rotten, ridden stone walkway, its beautiful arches leading you into a house of emptiness and horrors. This mansion adopts a Spanish revival style, along with a palatial villa of sorts. It's absolutely beautiful. It does look like a crumbling mess though, but still stunning. However, it's what's inside that we're going to discuss. Possibility of ghosts, ghouls, and goblins. Okay, well, not exactly. But it is said that the former occupants, those who met their ends, still reside in the house. This five-bedroom, four-bathroom mini-mansion, apparently not an actual mansion if you live in California. This house dates back to the 1920s. 
It even had a ballroom at once and a bar on its third floor. Which is charming under, you know, anybody's circumstances of a life, mansion or not. I don't have a ballroom, do you? I don't think so. And if you do, invite me to a ball, thank you. Now the thing is, this home is beautiful and charming, but in light of its history, it's not really had a lot of inhabitants. In fact, a lot of people, when they walk in, instantly fill with dread and just get very uncomfortable. I don't blame them. A man hammered his family to death inside. There's a lot of negative energy in there. Now, the house was built for Harry F. Schumacher. It exchanged ownership a couple times, at, well, at least once from what you can find in the 1950s. This, this is where our story truly begins. This is around the time that Dr. Harold Perelson would end up taking ownership. Dr. Harold, if you couldn't tell by the title, was a doctor. He was an injection specialist. I don't know what the f that means. Anywho, he bought the house, and while him and his wife and three children lived inside, they painted a portrait of the American dream of pure and utter happiness. Unfortunately, their happiness and living the dream was all a falsehood. However, a look into the lives of this family and you would find that they were living more of a nightmare, at least on one fateful evening in December. Hey, do you like the content that I create for you? Super. If you want to support me and those who help make it possible for me to continue to create this content, then head on over to doomandgroom.net. Doom and Groom is a metal branded personal care company based out of Denver, Colorado. They were founded at the end of 2019 by good friends of mine. Their aim is to be the most metal way to take care of yourself and your skin. They offer top quality ingredients and amazing scents that are exactly what you need to go forth and summon the doom. With tattoo bombs, body butters, beard oils, and of course, incredible sprays that will leave your mouth watering. Head on over to doomandgroom.net and see everything they have for your skin and hair needs. My favorite personally is succubus followed closely by Demise. Succubus is sort of a warm vanilla, really, really delicious desserty smell. And then Demise is a wonderful coffee. Oh my God, it's so good. If you wanna go check it out and even splurge and buy yourself a little something, I can get you a great discount. Simply use my code HarmonyDoom and unlock a very special discount for your purchase. This code works every single time that you buy, not just the first. So head on over to doomandgroom.net and treat your hair and skin to the very best. And hey, you and I can smell practically the exact same if you use succubus or demise. <laughs> Thanks again to Doom and Groom and Jonathan Demon for all of these amazing products. So I don't know what you're waiting for, but go head on over to doomandgroom.net, use Harmony Doom for a very special discount and treat yourself. At the end of a quiet cul-de-sac at the top of a hill overlooking Los Angeles looms the scene of one of the city's strangest and most macabre murders. The place changed hands, but mysteriously, its new owners never officially moved in, and for the next six decades, the Los Feliz murder mansion sat like a tomb filled with the remnants of its bloody past. Stories about a murder scene frozen in time spread and grew into legend, and when the curious braved a peek through its crumbling windows, they discovered it was true. 
There was the food still in the cupboards. There was the television from the 1950s still in the living room, waiting to be switched on again. There sat the presents wrapped and tied with a bow, forever unopened. And upstairs, on a bedroom wall, a hand-painted peacock watched the years go by, suspended in the nightmare it saw on December 7, 1959, when Dr. Harold Pearlson took a hammer to his wife's head as she slept. This is a house with a history of sorrow. Around 4 to 4.30 in the morning on December 6th of 1969, the residents of Glendower Place awoke to sounds of otherworldly shrieking and screaming. Soon people could hear a woman screaming, please don't kill me. By this point, Dr. Perelson had murdered his sleeping wife Lillian with one brutal bludgeoning of a ball-peen hammer to her head. That part, though, was rather quiet. That's not who people were hearing. The screaming didn't start until the hammer went down on the head of his slumbering daughter. This is because he was, like, trying to sneak through the house. So he didn't turn on any lights to, like, surprise, you're dead. He tried to sneak up on his daughter, and the precision wasn't very much there. So she's left bleeding, but still alive with the first hit. Obviously very aware that somebody is now trying to kill her. In response to this, she begins to scream and beg for mercy. This is when I'm sure she realizes it's her father. And he looks at her as he rears the handle back of the hammer, stares her in the eyes and says, lay still, keep quiet, and hits her again. She does push back though. In search of her mother, she rushes past her father. Upon finding her mother's remains, she's dashed shrieking into the once tranquil night, screaming for anyone to help her. Down the hill and down those steps that are now covered in age, well they might not be now because of the new buyers, but they were once beautiful and she was running down them. Blood leaving a trail in its wake. She was desperately looking for anyone to help her, anyone. At this point, all the onlookers' neighbors, basically, were calling 911. You're probably wondering, well, she left the family home, what's going on there? Because there's more people inside, and not just her crazy dad running around with a hammer. She had younger siblings that were now inside in a panic. Their father was simply yelling for them to go back to bed, and this is a nightmare. Obviously, he doesn't want to share with them that he just murdered their mother and tried to kill their older sister. At this point, one of the neighbors got rather curious and started climbing the very steep steps to try and confront Dr. Perelson. However, Dr. Perelson was a coward. And instead of facing any sort of justice for what he had done and what he was planning to do, which was murder the rest of his family, he simply walked back into his room, took two doses of Nambutal, which is like a lot of drugs, about 30 little pills and he ended up killing himself. By the time paramedics arrived, they walked into an absolute scene of horror. When they found Lillian, it said that the whites of her eyes had been turned completely red. Her coroner report would go on to say that she had drowned in her own blood. I also want to note, because this was mentioned in a few different articles and some of my research that I was going through, this was noted a few times. At some point, Dr. Perelson was either reading or had intentionally left a book on the nightstand to a passage. This was Dante Oligari's The Divine Comedy. 
and it was sitting on his nightstand open to the passage that reads this. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a dark forest, for the straightforward path had been lost. There isn't really a reason on how we can make sense of why he brutally did what he did. However, there may have been some subtle signs that no one truly could have noticed, hiding behind the beauties of the arches that make up the Los Feliz mansion. After he was conned out of investment in a production of a new syringe design that he invented, Dr. Perlson had been facing deep financial ruin. And while the doctor's family reported he'd been raked by coronary failures as well and were later revealed that he even had a few failed suicide attempts under his belt, he was struggling for a while and very, very unhappy. Concerned though, Lillian, his wife, allegedly was planning on having him forcibly committed to try to get him some treatment. Unfortunately, it was said that he was to have discovered that she was planning all of this behind his back. It seemed as though he felt maybe she had betrayed him and he felt that he needed to do something about it. At least that's what he may have rationalized in his mind. And this is also somewhat speculation. Dr. Perelson was facing a lot of financial issues and he was going through some dark times it seems. But who knows why he genuinely killed his wife. We don't know what was going on in their marriage. All of this would leave the house in limbo and allow it to sort of become a time capsule, a genuinely blood-soaked reminder of a brutal night. When all of California was preparing for the holiday season, a family was experiencing a nightmare. And now it's said that Dr. Perelson and his wife are still there. you have a body? Do you like to cover that body because, well, you kind of have to according to society's rules? Well, allow me to show you where you can go to buy some of the coolest clothes. If you head on over to thedriveclothing.com backslash oh hey it's harmony, you will be greeted by some of my favorite clothes and accessories out there. For a good while, I have been closely working and affiliated with The Drive Clothing Company. Even before I began working with them, I've supported this company for quite some time. I love them and what they stand for. Head on over to thedrive.com backslash oh hey it's harmony for a very special discount that you will unlock with my link. You will be greeted by some of the cutest clothes, most incredible accessories, and lowest prices. In fact, right now they are running a special. Our $100 mystery boxes are half off, only $50. Who knows what you could get? When I tell you I am obsessed, I am obsessed. And I promise that you will be too. You will vibe with the drive. And in no time, you too will become a driven one. So head on over to thedriveclothing.com backslash oh hey it's harmony and check out everything they have to offer and hey get yourself a little something and get that lovely little discount that comes with my link all right let's get back to the show (laughs) 
About a year after the crimes occurred right there at 2475 Glendower Place, the mansion would sell in a probate auction. Lincoln Heights husband and wife, Julian and Emily Enrique, made the bold purchase. However, they never really, I guess, moved into the house. They just owned it. They sort of just left it as it was that evening. At this point, the facts and legends kind of blurred, but were still rather parallel with each other. Over half a century would go on, and the Los Feliz murder house would be born and retold as a legend around Los Feliz, that this home where a brutal murder occurred and a suicide had occurred is haunted and boarded up. Plus, many could peer in the windows and see that everything was still frozen from that night, leading credence to the eerie stories. However, with varying different accounts and little official record, we don't really know everything that occurred in this mansion and why it left to just sort of rot. In the time it set vacant, it did gain a reputation. The stories about what occurred on that December night would change over time. There are legends of ghosts that are living in there along with the family. There's many different stories that you'll hear about this mansion. During the early years of the Enrique's ownership, it is stated that a family may have rented it for a little while, but one evening they saw something so horrible that they fled the property, even leaving all of their belongings, including wrapped Christmas presents. See? Is that from the fact that the murders occurred in December before, or is that because someone rented it? We don't know. There are pictures of the fact that there were wrapped Christmas presents. But with everyone talking more and more, and the secrets being boarded up behind the doors, we don't know. Yes, you could peer in and see that there were, in fact, dusty furnitures, a Christmas tree, scattered gift wrap presents all throughout. Not really. In fact, there were no Christmas trees. Yes, there were wrapped gifts near decaying newspapers, and a boxy television, an ancient can of SpaghettiOs, and even framed photos of a smiling family all over the walls. Many people decided to believe these were the belongings of the Perelsons, forever stuck in that tragic night. But that's weird because the Perelsons were apparently Jewish. Which also means that these really could have belonged to a family that was renting the house after the Enriques bought it, and then one evening they fled because they were so terrified by whatever they saw, you know? Who was he, and why didn't he want to live in the house? Rudy Enriquez grew up a devout Roman Catholic with ambitions to be a priest. But, in the end, he chose to stay close to his parents. They owned a variety of homes and businesses in the L.A. area but chose to live a modest life in Lincoln Heights. Rudy was in the military for a short time and eventually became a manager at a local music store. He went to the house to do minor repairs from time to time and drop off more stuff when he needed to. Sometimes he gave a key to friends who needed a place to stay temporarily, although to this day, the neighbors insist they never saw anyone living there. Neighbors may not have seen anyone living at the Los Feliz murder mansion, 
but they did see a constant stream of people that were looking for a few thrills, some true crime aficionados, internet sleuths, and those who just wanted to see a little slice of what occurred that night through the windows. People were attracted to this decaying, beautiful home on the hill. Perhaps to try to like, you know, demystify the house? The family eventually opened up about the notorious property. In fact, they said that they really had been using it for storage. Everything you saw there was pretty much theirs. The gifts, those were his. Same with basically all of the dated things that were seen in the windows. All of the vintage furniture and other TVs and so forth. It basically belonged to him and his friends who had passed away along with family members. Although he didn't move in, there was a phone line installed at the house and electricity had been turned on with water as well for some time. It has gone on to sell again very recently for over $2 million. Who really knows what the future is for this house, but I'll keep you guys updated. Just don't go sneaking in anymore because apparently it's really heavily watched now. As far as the other places in Griffith Park, you can go check those out during the day. Do not go to the Hollywood sign at night or into Griffith Park. Apparently, it's very dangerous. Just take a quick little search and you can read about all of the murders and bodies that have been found. It is a vast area of wilderness, so you don't just have to worry about people, but animals as well. And if the people or the animals don't get you, well, <laughs> the ghost will. So long, farewell to you, my friends. Goodbye for now, until we to the end of the episode. What'd you think of the stories? You think that Pig is the ghost that many people say they see at the Hollywood sign? The woman in white? Do you believe that the Hollywood sign is even haunted? What about the abandoned Griffith Park Zoo? Do you think the legends are true? You can hear the phantom animals who once lived in those cages. What about the murder mansion? Do you think Dr. Perelson and his wife still reside in those walls? I don't know. One thing's for sure, I am probably never gonna go there. Not because I don't want to, but I, I just, I mean, I don't make it out to California very often. In fact, it's been almost 37 years and I have yet to be, so I mean, you know? Anyways, that was this episode of What the Actual F, and hopefully the first one for the week, because I am going to be releasing at least a bonus one every week for you. If you have any spooky stories or haunted tales that you know of, send them to me at whattheactualeffharmony.com 
at gmail.com. However, until our next episode, please stay safe and like, you know, definitely stay away from Griffith Park at night, okay? Because I don't ever want to tell a story about you. Okay, well, love you. (laughs) And most of all, sweet screams. Thank you.